This episode of The Front Lounge with Congos is brought to you by Congos. If you'd like to support this podcast and get rid of the ads on it, we offer an ad-free version of it at our Patreon page, which is patreon.com slash congos. If you're already supporting us on Patreon, thank you very much. And check out the latest post. Uh, Every month, we're going to be answering some questions from our Patreon supporters on a special episode. What episode is this? What, 25? Yep. You can say it on the microphone. <laughs> no, no, this is a secret. Hey, everybody, welcome to The Front Lounge uh, with Congos. Hello. This is a podcast where um, us four brothers, Johnny, Jesse, Dylan, and Danny, and also our friend and colleague, Colton Boudary, uh, we just talk about all kinds of things, mostly music-related or tour-related, um, but many other subjects. Today is a very special day because the first episode of our eight-part docu-series called Bus Call, Life on Tour, um, came out. It's on YouTube. It's streaming right now. It's 31 minutes. Um, it's been a long time in the making. Years, actually. It took over two years, uh, once from the minute we started editing. Not full-on. I mean, we took days off, but... Anyway, so it's it's out now, and um, the first episode is called The New Normal. And that came about, that title, because I think Jesse had written some of the voiceover that uh, is in the first part of the episode, and that's how we felt. We were trying to describe this feeling of, you know, this new sensation that got to be normal feeling for us, but at the time was not. It was completely new, completely different and disorienting in a while but eventually over the years of touring it became normal and we became used to that yeah i think it's the the idea of the first time that you go on tour you know or do anything new where your routine drastically changes um especially on a bus you know uh, where you sleep on the bus and you wake up in a new city it's very disorientating i think everyone was feeling that because we started out and we pretty much went for seven months straight because Come With Me Now had just blown up on radio and we pretty much chased it around the world. And um, that that sensation of uh, getting accustomed to this new way of life, a new routine, where your old life kind of falls into the history and uh, it's a, it's, it doesn't feel normal anymore. You come home and it takes you a while to acclimatize back to normal life. Well, yeah, one of the first things is just getting your bus legs. It's like getting your sea legs. You know, everyone who has never been on a ship before or a boat before gets on the boat and all of a sudden wobbling around trying to walk on it and probably throwing up within an hour. <clears throat> the bus is a like small version of that where if you try to get up and you walk while the bus is moving, you got to start just bumping into the sides of the bus and walking down the hallway or you try to go to the bathroom to pee while the bus is moving. <laughs> There's a whole technique to it. Yeah, there's an art form that. <laughs> and also oh, depends on the driver. Colton, what's your technique to... Uh, <laughs> I brace my arms on both sides and uh, I make sure that I take my pants off first before I start peeing. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds excessive. First of all, I, how, how, do you, all so you don't, no. how do you aim on a moving bus if both your arms are occupied? <laughs> is there a third arm we don't know about or a third leg? <laughs> My my technique is arm, my technique is the the little that's why we found pants on the floor every day and piss all over the walls <laughs> in the back lounge. <laughs> my technique is the wall right above. I lean forward my head 
completely. So I'm, you know, I'm, my head against the wall is stabilizing. It's pretty similar hey. to if you're on an airplane during turbulence and you know they start flashing like "Go back to your seat" and you happen to be stuck in there. That's what it's like on a bus. Hey, Colton, um, we're we're potty training our daughter right now. There, there might be an opening if you need lessons. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you have time. <laughs> um, so this first episode, I would say, was the if or one of if not the hardest episode to edit because we were trying to compact and fit so much stuff into it we wanted to immediately get viewers into the feeling of like what it's like in the day-to-day of touring but there was also so much information we needed to fit in there we wanted to catch people up on our story for people that weren't familiar with our history with our dad's history our family history and all that and then also where we were at with label difficulties and all that so it was really really hard to get this first one to kind of a lot cover of explaining of which is hard to make entertaining you know when people you're basically having to explain what happened in the past um so that was yeah yeah the yeah. later episodes get a little more kind of linear and they are much more flowing in terms of what it was going on during that period yeah. but we wanted to get all that info and we we all got pretty attached and set on that opening i think pretty early on which is from lawrence kansas that was in december 2016 we were coming off of kind of bit of a disappointing end of a uh, run for that year and just that something about that venue and everything about that day captured the basically the down feeling we all had and it just is captured so perfectly by that opening scene of the bus and the snow mm. so we all got kind of attached to that as the cold open where you're just like what's going on you know? literally a cold open it was yeah. freezing freezing cold in lawrence kansas it's it was after months and months of touring i think we started the majority of the the heavy touring in like july and kind of went non-stop all the way till december <clears throat> and we just come back from europe and now we had these last few shows uh, of radio shows to do and then this one in Lawrence, Kansas where we walk into the venue and you'll see it's trouble getting into the venue. Kind of spinal tappy. Yeah, yeah. very spinal tappy and then uh, the laundry machine uh, was filthy and we didn't have any laundry detergent left so we had to use, um, what do you call it, shower gel. I think, you know, when when you're on tour and living and we've got the cameraman there and we've, we get used to it, you know, you pretty much ignore the cameraman you don't think oh this is being recorded uh so it was months later that we actually started to kind of sift through the footage and we came across that and we were just watching it <laughs> watching the camera follow danny as he tries to get into the venue and it's locked and it's fucking cold and he's carrying his suitcase and it just it it had such a vibe with even with no music um that that i don't know it to to relive those moments from that viewer perspective as opposed to just like, oh, it's another shit day on tour. <laughs> it's funny, as you watch the season, you'll see Kansas plays, has quite a few cameos. Kansas just seems to be a funny place. Yeah. In fact, the Isn't theme of it, not being able to get yeah. into buildings becomes quite a thing <laughs> in Kansas specifically. Our, our saying is we are in Kansas anymore. Yeah. <laughs> um, so then obviously, like, another thing we wanted to do is our just like we've been our our parents were super diligent about filming us because they knew we were going to be making this episode <laughs> 20 yeah. to 30 years later and uh so obviously there's a ton of footage that our dad and mom captured of us uh you know just regular home videos but a lot of stuff of us playing piano and sitting around so there's a you know fair amount of that will be coming up in later episodes but that uh, we'll get to it in deep thoughts actually like what I'm doing Johnny uh on that uh 
piano thing. It was an exercise our dad had us all learn as kids. And it's kind of an interesting thing. And I don't actually know if I could do it right now, what I was doing in that video. I'd have to it's sit and practice hard. for a good hour or so to get it back up and running. Yeah, when we started editing this, I started practicing it again or trying it. And it's, it is, it's a very funny sensation. Anyway, we'll get to it later. But I, This episode was probably the hardest to make, I'd say, just because it's the first one... You know, we we could have picked anywhere really to start the show because we had footage all the way from 2014 up till you know present day, and it, so it was hard to decide that. It was also we were trying to fit all this information, you know, because a lot of people don't necessarily know our backstory, or, or they might not even know who we are, or what, or they only know the song "Come With Me Now." So to try and cram that all into um, the first episode as well as sort of set up the linear timeline of where this show takes place. That was that was the hard thing. So the 2016 Egomaniac tour, the beginning of it, production rehearsals, that felt like a beginning to us, you know? Yeah, and hopefully the timeline came across to everyone because I was just watching some show on Netflix. I think it was Ozark. And they did way too, in one of the episodes, they did way too many of those three months before six months before, and eventually you just get lost in some kind of time warp where you can't figure out where am I. Am I two minutes before the three minutes after the six months later? So hopefully that came across and that we kind of start this whole story in terms of the where the arc of the season is going to go in 2016 on our Egomaniac tour at that rehearsal yeah. studios. It gets a lot more linear going forward, though. Yeah. And, but in episode two, Jason Bateman does say, it's, it's all right, we're going to figure this out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> He's the calm, that's, he should win the award for calmest dude dealing with everything going wrong always. He should win an award for most airtime phoning it in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that episode two where, um, you know, where we started off the tour in Vegas and Jason Bateman was side stage, like cheering us on, that was, you know, that kind of made our day. So be sure to tune into episode two to see Jason. saying, yeah, well. <laughs> Anything else stand out from episode one specifically we wanted to talk about? Um, Colton, you've seen it, right? I have. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've actually seen it multiple times. Uh, I've seen the uncut version and... The cut so version Col- and the more cut version, yeah. <laughs> so if you see in the credits, Colton's listed as an assistant editor because there were obviously a ton of people that helped us work on this. The main people that helped us edit this were obviously were Logan and Sarah, who are our power editing couple. They're a husband and wife. Jesse went to school with uh, Logan, and they've just been really, really incredible helping us sift through and kind of shape this footage. But Colton and a couple other people also did some of the grunt work of sitting through hundreds of hours cataloging and taking basic notes on it and going through the spreadsheet of Colton's notes on all this footage is actually really funny because he's so inside he just writes these shorthand notes that no one else would understand what he's referencing but we get it we like be able to search through a spreadsheet and go oh I remember that scene because yeah. Colton's 2473 Mo talks about butts again <laughs> <laughs> and to write that so many times it just auto-populated yeah. <laughs> Colton uh, he's in the episode too obviously he's the merch guy and when we first started filming that that was literally like your pretty much your first day on the job when Logan was filming your first day or two and yeah. uh, since then he's been on multiple tours with us he's also living in LA uh, or at least spending some time out here helping us with socials and all kinds of things but now he's like Mr. Veteran you know he knows the ropes 
Do you find it funny to look back and see, like, do you feel like you've changed as a person? Oh, totally. When when I'm looking back, I, <laughs> you know, I totally view myself as the just the newbie. You know, like I I don't have any idea what's going on and. We specifically put that clip of him where he says he's never done anything like this before with him counting T-shirts because any other professional touring like merch sellers there are probably just like got their faces in their hands going, why the fuck is he counting them like that? <laughs> well, did you guys know this story when uh, we were doing all the prep and everything at Mates? Um, I was counting all the shirts and nobody told me to count them in 12s. So I had stacks and stacks of shirts stuffed into boxes that were not counted into 12s. And Jason came out probably at, I don't know, an hour or two before we were loading into the semi and saw what I was doing. <laughs> <laughs> so we had to go through and pack up everything all over again. In so the reason, I mean, the reason they wanted in 12s generally, at least are the guy that does our merch for us the merch provider they always ship them in stacks of 12 i don't know exactly why this probably maybe it comes in from wholesale like that so they're always in 12 kings used to ship t-shirts yeah same as the inch yeah so it's just that's the standard and he had spent hours and hours getting them into neat little stacks of tens (laughs) all right so I guess that's probably it. You know, we won't spoil. We don't need to talk about the whole episode. If you haven't watched it yet and we've spoiled anything for you, we um, really suggest you go watch it uh, to get all the details. Um, but the first song um, in that intro is one of ours. It's one of Johnny's songs called Happy Song. Um, and it's a very happy, uplifting yeah. <laughs> happy, uplifting song. We're going to play a little snippet of it. Uh, maybe, Joey, talk a little bit about it. Yeah, we'll play the instrumental version. It originally had some lyrics. I don't even know if we'll end up using them, but it was something along the lines of, today I'm going to write a happy song. Oh, too late. Already all the chords are wrong. <laughs> so, you know, that that's where I kind of stopped on the lyrics and just said, and everyone said, maybe you should just make this an instrumental song because <laughs> it doesn't work. But um, this one is kind of influenced by Arvo Pert, Part. Uh, that Estonian composer, I think, has been a big influence on us just in terms of those string parts. So let's play a little snippet of that. when we heard that we we just thought oh this has opening credits feel you know it's kind of dramatic it's dark a little bit ominous and after that the cold open on the episode where you kind of see us in at a, at a low point we feel in our touring career 
Um, it just had this vibe. And I think that's why a happy song was so perfect for that, <laughs> that mood. Oh, yeah. Um, one thing we, should, we didn't talk about yet on this episode, and, and that first thing that I think really helps set up the episode is our friend Eddie Elliott, who we've known for, what, 10, 15 years? Probably he's a singer-songwriter, all-around amazing dude. He used to live in Phoenix, and that's how we met him, I think, through Jesse's through Rachel, right? There was a friend of a friend of yeah, Rachel worked with um, his now wife, and we I went over to his house for a party before I'd met him. And at the end of the party, everyone was saying goodbye, and I just heard this massive voice, and I, I assumed it was a stereo because it sounded so rich and like, per, per, you know, it just filled the room literally. And I turned around and saw him just singing a song, you know, in the living room. And it, it's one of those moments where you're like, holy shit, that voice, you know? And uh, so we became close friends after that. And when we were trying to think of, you know, we couldn't, we can't really afford to go higher, you know, outside town, like Peter Coyote or some big voiceover guy. Sam and we Elliott. thought, you know, who do we know whose voice has Morgan gravity? Morgan Freeman and, wanted to do it, but we just said, mm. yeah, bad look for us. Yeah. No one really <laughs> you know, knows No one knows voice. who, no one would recognize that voice. So anyway, we, I, I thought of Eddie because, is he just inherently has that presence, you know, and it brings something to the words. And it's also nice to hear, even though, you know, we we wrote the voiceover, Logan and Sarah definitely helped with that as well on some of the stuff. And, you know, we're trying to tell a story and represent it as accurately as you can. But when when you hear it in somebody else's voice, all of a sudden it becomes real. He's a really he, good, he brings that to it. He's also a really good storyteller. When, he, when we would go watch his acoustic sets, he would... You know, half of the entertainment of going to see him was actually listening to his stories in between songs. And you could, most people, when they do that, you're like, all right, geez, shut the fuck up already. Get onto the song. When Eddie does it, he's he's got a little bit of that Jackson Brown quality where he can talk for 10 minutes about a song and you're you're intrigued before he plays it. We'll go look through. He sent us like three or four takes of each line for each episode, you know, with various inflections, saying it up, down, medium, in terms of uh, attitude and that. And he also sent us a bunch of joke things. We'll try and look through some of those and maybe throw one or two up for the Patreon uh, subscribers on that page, just some of him, like, kind of making fun of us. Yeah, that that last line, this is bus call, you know, we've got, like, 12 versions of it. One of them was kind of like, this is bus call. (laughs) (laughs) This is bus call? Um... It will throw up a link also to some of his music so you can listen to it. Um, if you're on a beach, it goes very well. Oh, the other song I wanted to talk about, unrelated to us at all, well, almost unrelated, is uh, I've been playing uh, Benny and the Jets lately, the Elton John song, just because I think it's a good example of making something sound sort of live and feel like a party, even though it wasn't recorded live, at least as far as I know. I, I, from what I've read, it was they subsequently decided to make it sound like a live recording. So they added audience noise and claps and echoes and this sort of reverb to make it sound like it was in a stadium somewhere. And the producer is actually a guy called Gus Dudgeon, who also produced our dad back in the day. Um, so I think if, if you listen to Benny Jet and the Jets from that perspective, uh, it's been helpful to us on a couple of the new songs that are coming out later in the, on our album. Um, we want that sort of live party feel, and it's a good reference track for that. So something that I just remembered I wanted to talk about was we shot a bunch of these talking head interviews um, kind of later in the process because we wanted to answer a bunch of questions that we hadn't necessarily captured before. So we ended up with 
about five or six hours worth of interviews, and we were about to transcribe them all and spend hours going through that. And then Danny or some, one of us said, what if we just upload them to YouTube and see if they'll do it? And we uploaded them, and 15 minutes later, they were all transcribed. Mm. And it's just insane how good the voice recognition is now on uh, Google. Even with your accent. Yeah. I mean, everyone, it even got Mick, to be honest. Most of the time, it got 85% of what Mick would say in any of his yeah, interviews. Yeah. I remember looking into this because it was kind of nerdy. But initially, they, got, they could uh, do voice translation really well if they controlled the mic. In other words, like on even on transcription on a phone, they knew what the input was relatively because the same mic and all that. So it was able to get the words out. But to take a variety of sources of audio and get the words out is very difficult. But Google's API is like, uh, you know, it's machine learning. So it's not really listening. It's just referencing a database of, I don't know how many hours, billions of hours of audio that have been uh, transcribed and then corrected. Yeah. And then it's referencing that. So it's not like listening. It's it's just that new kind of artificial intelligence of deep learning. It's the same way that those capture things you see when you're trying to log into a website and right, wants yeah. you to prove that you're not a robot. Uh, capture is an acronym. I forget exactly what it stands for. But some of them, what they're doing now is they're taking little uh, scans of books that they're trying to scan and translate into right. text and using us as a farm basically because you it says you know what words are in here and you write book tree car yeah and right. as You're the average yeah. of the transcriptions go it now says no you got it wrong based on the average of what hundreds of thousands of people are saying and they're simultaneously transcribing books i think that's how duolingo works uh for that language learning thing and also i mean that's how the captures work in general you're helping it learn how to recognize images it's funny you're helping a robot learn how to Recognize take images of our jobs. So you can prove to not be a robot, yeah. It, it really is just the table's turning and it's becoming apparent that we're working for them now, the machines. <laughs> <laughs> um, did, but, did you see the Elon Musk thing on Joe Rogan? And then there's someone put together a video of him warning us about AI. <laughs> and it shows, uh, what's his name from Facebook? It is hilarious. Mark Zuckerberg. Yeah, Mark Zuckerberg. We've got to throw up a link of that. Yeah, he, he did. didn't really hit that joint. <laughs> no. He did like a Bill Clinton hit. Yeah. <laughs> but still, Tesla's stock dropped a lot. Right? That was Huge. unrelated. Yeah. I think that was that was related to their they fired their CFO or something like that. Or, Imagine or if he, he quit. Or, I think the SEC CIA, should investigate COO. him. What's a CFO? Controlled fucking objects. <laughs> <laughs> Chief financial. Officer. Imagine if you had, Imagine if you had that kind of control. I mean, obviously it's insider trading and all that, but if you knew that if you went on a podcast and did something crazy according to, you know, what the business world thinks and you could affect your stock price that much. Like is that would that be if he shorted himself the day before he knew he was Yeah, I definitely go to weed. jail for that. He <laughs> <laughs> and Martha Stewart would be hanging out. Um so I guess let's get back to for our deep thoughts this uh week the piano exercise that I'm playing uh, 30 years ago on video and what we all did and what what the purpose of that was or at least what our dad was trying to get us to learn from doing that and what it actually is. So to explain it a little bit, what's happening there is on the left hand, I'm playing a, uh, a pattern that's in 5-4 and on the right hand, I'm playing 
a scale, just a five-note scale up and down that's basically grouped into fours rhythmically against that. So you immediately have got... Two different time signatures. Two different time signatures. It's confusing enough as it is to try and tell your right hand to almost ignore your left hand. And then as this exercise got more and more complicated, our dad tried to get us to um, add different elements. So there's the head movement element, and then there's this Tibetan Buddhist chant, um, which if you say it long enough, you achieve total enlightenment, which is great. (laughs) Uh, But... There were, I think, there were eventually two more steps to that. I think there was a foot, t- a left foot tapping movement and a right footing foot tapping movement. That I, I don't know if I ever did those, but it's like a really, really complicated. If you're listening and you've ever done the uh, pat your head, rub your stomach, or rub your stomach, pat your head. Yeah, I just did a vice versa, versa vice versa. Um, it's a really complicated version of that. You're trying to separate your the sides of your. Uh, brain, you're trying to separate your your hands um, and trying to do things while one thing becomes almost automatic and the other thing needs to be paid attention to. There's a it's the well the, it's a polyrhythm, you know that you're playing against each other because it's going to take twenty notes to line up again because right. you, you know it's the multiple of five four and four four so it's going to take twenty notes before you start the cycle again. There's a who's that guitarist on? Instagram, he does these really cool polyrhythms where he, he separates his fingers into like three, four, and seven. And then they kind of go in a big cycle. That sounds painful. It's, it's, <laughs> why, it's why our dad said that was almost perfect. Because on the very last um, cycle, you flipped or you, you went back uh, and didn't play the full 5-4 cycle in your left hand. Or I think that's what it was. And so it was almost perfect. The weirdest part to me is that you could do that, but you couldn't know which, what was up. <laughs> yeah, no, I put think them it, all together. It's I think fine. it just confuses your right. You got you. You know, you, yeah, it just know, really confuses your brain. I think you can actually connect that exercise with the concept of the new normal because um, the real intent behind the exercise, as far as I can figure, is that at a certain point you practice something long enough, it becomes automatic. Your muscles learn it, and then you no longer have to apply your consciousness to it. So that's the point of you continuously adding more layers to this exercise where you have to reapply your attention because, as you know, if the, anything you learn becomes second nature at a certain point. And so it's this constant need to add a layer or to change it so that you don't become mechanical in the way that you practice it. Uh, that, that was the real value of it. And, you know, our, I th- it was pretty cool that our dad, at such a young age, would introduce these things to our, our life because... I think learning that at that age, even if you don't really know why you're learning it or the ability to split your brain off like that, it comes very valuable when you're trying to send a tweet and record a new song at the same time. I think it's why, as we say in, you know, as we describe, it was such an important aspect of our upbringing and I think should be an important aspect of basically every kid's upbringing. You know, like kids are forced to do all kinds of things, like learn bullshit history you know written by <laughs> by some guy in a textbook and that you know it, if you're going to force kids to do things learn things i mean it music should be an absolutely critical part of that because it's such an important part of all aspects of life but most fundamentally or at least superficially it allows your brain to operate better you know it just well, whatever you take it for later in life, whatever you end up using it, like you're not going to necessarily end up becoming a musician, it improves all aspects of that, just in its uh, the mental 
acuity or like working your brain like a muscle. Yeah, I, the interesting thing about it, this exercise, it must have helped along the way. Just that exercise alone helped you with your um, practice, you know, as you got older, the polyrhythms and also being able to separate your left hand from your right hand. Because if you see a really great pianist like Keith Jarrett, his left hand is, is like a different person playing the left hand and the right hand is playing something. It's like he has two brains. And this exercise, it essentially kind of divides your attention into three different brains. You're you're having to think about what you're doing. Your body's having to um, memorize it and use muscle memory to do something. And then at the deepest level, the chant is an emotional chant, like the meaning of the Buddhist chant is, is, is I, I don't know how to directly translate it, but it's like a dedication to this uh, mysterious law and, you know, the, you, the eternal mysterious law. Um, and by, I think by separating out those three elements uh, and not distracting and not being um, consumed by all three at once in, in those three different parts, you're able to focus on one at a time. Um, you can, it can get you into a state of almost experiencing those three different um, elements of your brain simultaneously and separated at the same time. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of like watching old Yeller on the treadmill. <laughs> speaking, right, of, it, speaking of the, the splitting hands, like you're saying that Keith Jarrett, there's a Chopin. When you hear everyone plays Chopin nocturnes, they're kind of famous uh, pieces that everyone plays, and they're you know some of the most well-known classical piano comp- compositions. But if you listen to Vladimir Horowitz play it, um, play them, and there's one or two specifically where it literally sounds like two separate people are playing because there's such a differentiation between his left and his right hand and it's so but he is there uh present through all of it in that it's one kind of cohesive emotion being expressed through all of it but his hands are obeying different masters yeah, i feel like uh glenn gould gould's fugues are like that too yeah because he's even though it's even though it's he's it's not a struggle for him. Obviously, it was a struggle to learn it, but he's not struggling, and that's a true sign of actual divided attention. Yeah, and you can hear the difference between someone playing the Chopin nocturnes or preludes nicely, because it sounds like they're playing all together. This note happens on the left hand, and this one happens on the right hand, and then you hear someone like Horowitz or Gould play this stuff, and it's just of another uh, completely different order. Yeah, when. When we were editing this, and Danny and I start, we <clears throat> on our keyboard started to practice that uh, exercise again. It's fucking difficult, and it gives you like this sense of frustration and tension and like friction. Not not like sitting at a computer where you're just frustrated that an app won't work or that you know some you don't understand some uh, setting on your computer. This it's like a frustration that you can't. You can't describe. It's like a boiling up of trying to um, keep your attention in, try to keep attention for longer than like a split second. Well, those those types of exercises, it's like similar to yoga in that they're truly humbling, not in the fucking Instagram mode of that word, but in the sense that you realize like how pathetic you are, like the little things you can't do. I have a I have an analogy for that type of frustration, which is. If you've ever tried to pull a full trash bag out of a trash can, 
where it's it's air sealed, you know, and you literally, no matter how strong you are, you'll break the bag before you get it out because uh, it can only go out at a certain rate. You know, there's only a certain rate that the air can flow back into the trash can, and it's like a vacuum. And that, for me, I don't know about you guys, but it's one of the most frustrating <laughs> feelings in the hey, world. Right. Because you can't, you can't just force it out. You know, you have to just wait and keep applying force until the trash can pops out. It must it's be a, a universal thing. Because have we talked about this? Because I was thinking about like when on TV shows, if when they ask you what what's your favorite thing or what's your least favorite thing, if I was ever asked that, that would be one of my least favorite things to do. And eventually, it, eventually, I got over it because it's it is it's the you're pulling against a force that you can't win. Yeah. You can't beat the force of the air seal. Like so you just have to accept the fact that the rate that it has to come out is yeah. is set. It's gonna take five seconds instead yeah. of two and it's like <laughs> Yeah. God. The bottom of it. <laughs> like shotgunning a beer. Yeah. Well you could just say, Colton, if you want your crackers, <laughs> take the trash out. And uh, that's a reminder to our listeners, if you don't want to hear the ads uh, in this podcast, you should subscribe to, to uh, Patreon. What is it? It's $2 a month? $2 a month gets you the ad-free version of the podcast. And we've also been posting a couple exclusive behind-the-scenes picture sets. And we'll be doing some more stuff like that as we go along. It's um, a small price to pay to ensure that Colton is fed. And, <laughs> and then every once in a while, what did we say? We're going to... Uh, put the option up there of submitting a couple questions and maybe once a month we'll answer questions from yeah. uh, Patreon users. We're going to select the questions, so make them good. Like, not every question will be answered. Yeah. If Don't you ask, ask us what it's like to be in a band with brothers. Yeah, if you ask that question, we're just going to, you know, put a link to Bus Call. All right, that's the episode for this week. If you haven't watched uh, Bus Call Episode 1, go do that now. And later this week, Episode 2 will be coming out spread the word tell your friends about it we've put a lot of time and work into this and we want as many people to see it as possible see you next week bye, bye. bye.